Hello and welcome to the Black Techies Podcast. Uh, this is Herbert Seward, a.k.a. Black Tony Stark, along with Dominique Bass. And um, this episode is out of our normal rotation, but given the events of the day, um, we felt we needed to do an episode. Um, our fearless leader, David David Matthew, a.k.a. Packet Steeler, he should be on here in a minute. Um, but if, if you're a part of comic book or blurred culture or whatever you want to call it, uh, then you know what happened today. And, um, that was the passing of Stan Lee, uh, brainchild behind Marvel. So, uh, this episode of the Black Techies podcast is dedicated to the memory of Stan Lee, as well as the impact that he, he's had on us as, uh, comic book followers and just the impact that he's had on on pop culture in general. So, um, I guess the first question I want to present out there to uh, my colleague: um, What does uh, what was the first Marvel comic that you ever that you ever had the pleasure of reading? Huh, man, the first one I ever read was probably The Incredible Hulk. Uh, my cousin was a huge comic book dude. And he left him when he went to college and told me not to look at him. But, you know, young, young, disobedient brother that I was, I went through his whole collection. And I read, man, the Secret Wars. I read the Hulk when he was turning to Smart Hulk. Man, I read so many just, I mean, Marvel, they, they've been doing it for a long time, man. They, didn't, they, they weren't always uh, hitting home runs on the screen. But as far as character development and, you know, creating likable characters and just like, you know, DC is just like three people. And it's not an anti-DC thing, I guess. Like, it don't have to be uh, a DC hate kind of thing. But just on some real, like, blurred and movie buff kind of dude. Like, it's, there's no there's no comparison, man, to the way that Stan Lee, you know, like, a lot of these characters that we love were actually, actually created by Stan Lee, or, or he had a really heavy hand in the influence in the generation of these characters, you know? Absolutely. Um, I think for me, and, you know, I've been, you know, I've been a Marvel comic head since, since five. You know, I grew up on Iron Man, you know, I grew up on on the Avengers and the X-Men, like any other kid that's followed, you know, that's had this fill of Marvel comics. Um, but I think the biggest thing that, that made me appreciate, um, uh, Marvel's, uh, you know, just Marvel's influence even more is just, you know, after I got a little bit older and I started to learn about the history behind some of the characters and the storyboards that Stan put out and, where he drew drew those influences from, um, particularly for people of color and for minorities and and everything. If you look at his comics, you know, if you look at characters, even some of the the characters that haven't been, you know, in the MCU or or haven't had the type of visibility that the characters that we all know have, um, like the X Men or Iron Man or Captain America or what have you. Um, it's it's a really big thing. I know one um, one character in particular that kind of you know sums it up for me is Blue Marvel. Now, for those folks out there that are listening, 
um, and that are familiar with, um, you know, Stan's run on the comics, you know, way back in the day when there wasn't, you know, an MCU, so to speak, in terms of on-screen access to Marvel. And it was just strictly comic books and stories that were being put out to the populace. Um, Blue Marvel was a very unique character. Number one, Blue Marvel was a black man in, in 1940s America that was arguably the most powerful character ever built by Marvel, ever created. And uh, Blue Marvel at the time was the equivalent of DC Superman. And essentially, um, the telling of Blue Marvel's story um, kind of mirrored what African Americans really had to go through uh, during that period of time as as his character was really kind of fleshed out and developed from, you know, from the 50s and 60s to, you know, the modern era of of comics. Um, like I said, for those of you that aren't familiar with Blue Marvel, Blue Marvel um, uh, Bashir was a, was a scientist, and essentially he had an accident that made him uh, a living antimatter machine and arguably the most powerful person on the planet Earth. And I mean, this guy, if you've ever read his comics, and not, you know, not to go just concentrate on the character, but, you know, if you've ever had a chance to check out any of the comics that featured Blue Marvel and, and some of the characters around him, um, Stan did a really, really good job of mirroring some of the dichotomy that black folks, you know, that serve this country face on a daily basis what they're asked to do, um, how the general public reacts to them when they're doing that job, and trying to weigh the resentment that comes along with not getting the support that you would normally, that you would think you would get for doing said job. Yo, not even just, um, just like the, he was the first, he made, not just him, but he was the head of a company that was pretty much the first in everything you could think of. The first, like, black superhero, the first big black franchise, the first, like, like the first Indian suit. Like, I, I don't know these things, but I would venture to guess that there was never, because uh, there's not really that much. If you look at the Justice League, there ain't no brothers in the Justice League, except Cyborg, I guess. But Cyborg's not really in the Justice League in real life. And so... The, the 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 you look at the colorful nature the diverse nature of marvel and even back when when they weren't really pushing for diversity over the years iron man's a black woman named riri captain america is a black dude you know what i'm saying like there there are universes that they have fleshed out and drawn out and put out that are well received that have lead black superhero characters and i think it's super important for young black people, young black nerds, young black humans, to see themselves represented in a way that's not uh, thug number one, or kingpin drug dealer number two, or you know what I'm saying? Like, it, it's so important and I think that you know, we saw that come to fruition with Black Panther. I think that um, I think that they're actually going to do Riri Williams in film in some point in the next five years or so. Like, it's so crazy that we, that that you know, that they're uh, 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 which they're like at the forefront 
of inclusion. There's no character. If their character isn't, they're not going to not put a character. They're not going to not make a movie because they know they can make money making anything. They made Venom popping. They can make anything and they know it. And so they're not scared. They're not one of these people that's going to put out a guys of Egypt with all white cast. And, you know, well, getting think... away from Stan Lee because uh, well, we're, so, we're such Marvel junkies. But, I mean, he had a well, lot I to think... do with that. Well, yeah, I think Stan will, I mean, without Stan's, you know, foresight in terms of really talking about social commentary through his storyboards and through his work, we wouldn't have that. We wouldn't have characters like the Black Panther. We wouldn't have characters like the X-Men or Charles Xavier because essentially um, those were vehicles that Stan Lee was, you know, fighting that fight. And I think a lot of people... What a lot of people don't really realize about his genius in regards to just how important, you know, his ideas and his imagination for, you know, his work is, you know, a lot of, a lot of the, a lot of the things that were going on during the period of time where he was really just coming up in the industry and really putting Marvel out there, um, there are places that you know, quite simply put, you didn't see black folk or you didn't see people of color, much less in comics. Um, and that's where Stan really shined at, was telling these stories and being a champion, you know, for these causes through his work, through the pen. And uh, he did a really great job of reaching people and reaching audiences that quite frankly, a lot of minorities weren't able to, you know, we weren't able to, we weren't able to go into the newspaper, you know, the newspaper in, say, Savannah, Georgia during that period of time, and just give our take on how wrong this is, and how, you know, how much injustice was going on in terms of, you know, rights being violated in the whole nine. Stan was able to take up that cause through his story work, through his storyboards. You know, um, I mean, I think it's kind of public knowledge now, and I know Stan actually talked about this later in later interviews in his career, that the X-Men, you know, all the characters in, in the X-Men story arc, whether it was Charles Xavier, uh, whether it was Magneto, and um, a number of other folks represented the civil rights movement. It represented, you know, not just the nonviolent part of the civil rights movement, but it represented the whole other ideology um, that was kind of, you know, faced by it. It was, you know, represented by Malcolm X and, and you know, defense by any means necessary and, and the more militant side of fighting for civil liberties or civil rights. And... It was very, um, it was very sobering for me after starting to do the research, you know, and finding out that he just drew these influences from, you know, from his participation in his observation of what was going around him, going on around him, um, and the fact that these stories have the same type of resonate, you know, they resonate with the same audiences and they have the same type of impact. Uh, this far, you know, this far ahead of that time is 
is absolutely amazing stuff. And that's something that um, if you don't know Stan for anything else, you know him for being a visionary and being able to tell stories that will be here for a long, long time. So uh, that's the main that's the main thing that I get that's super positive from Stan Lee in terms of some of the some of the things that I've seen and read from his comics. And, you know, like I said, like you said earlier, it's not to knock DC or any other um, any other company or any other um, outlet for that's put that's put out comics or that's put out, you know, just kind of content for people to take in. But Marvel was the forerunner. And not only were they the forerunner, Marvel with Stan Lee and Jack Kirby had the courage to actually tell those stories. And yeah, to... I, I honestly, I can't think of an instance where DC was bold with their their storytelling as far as, like, you know, there's some risque storylines as far as, like, you know, Robin dying or Batman or Superman dying, that kind of stuff. But I can't think of a, a time where they were uh, vocal on a racial issue through storytelling or otherwise. Um and that's not to say they haven't. I'm not ver- I'm not versed enough to say definitively that they haven't, but I can't think of any. But I can think of several times where Marvel stood in the front of everything and said, you know, we're going to do this. We're going to lead on on this issue. And you know, like I said, my childhood was better for it. So I'm going to jump yeah. in here. <laughs> I'm back. <laughs> Dave's in the building. Right. He's All back. right. All right. The uh... <laughs> the usual host aka packet still is back um so are you all are i guess talking about the impact of uh what marvel has been doing as far as social issues social yeah. issues yeah pretty much and i think um just to kind of continue along that line of thinking um it hasn't been just civil rights that you know stan lee was really you know really adept at telling stories at it was everything everything from you know from discrimination to substance abuse to you name it you know i mean anybody that's familiar with iron man knows that you know tony stark uh unlike the host that has his has his namesake um was a real jerk you know that dude uh raging alcoholic raging alcoholic you know nar- borderline narcissist well not borderline full flow full blown narcissist which but of course. Yeah, but I think one of the really great things about Stan Lee's writing is that, um, you know, our heroes aren't perfect. You know, none of the heroes are. But it's the ability of those heroes to overcome those demons. Um, alcoholism wasn't, wasn't the first time that that was covered. I know um, Captain Marvel, uh, the new Captain Marvel, uh, Carol Danvers, uh, has the same problem, and uh, you know they tackle alcoholism. I wonder why um, they're calling her uh, uh, Captain Marvel instead of Miss Marvel. Well, I think that has a little bit more to do um, with the continuity of of the MCU as it stands right now. In the comic, you know, they had two iterations that were she kind of alternated between the two identities um, after Captain Marvel died. You know, the official Captain Marvel died. She essentially assumed the mantle. You know, and I'm not, you know, I can't 
you know, uh, I can't regurgitate the, the storyline verbatim, but that's kind of how it worked. Um, but I think, like I was saying before, I think the main thing in terms of the work that both Stan Lee and Jack Kirby did, you know, was, was to just bring those stories to light because it, those stories anyplace else really didn't get talked about. Nobody talked about abuse or alcoholism or you know just some of the really darker things that we see on a daily basis but we kind of take for granted and even though comics are an escape um stan had a real penchant for being able to tell those stories and convey those messages in a way that were you know that wasn't just dark it was positive and it forced people to really look at those things you know, um, you know, it's funny. So I was thinking about this a few months ago. So if you all, so for our listeners who are into anime, uh, you've likely heard of the the anime My Hero Academia. And so the whole crux of that show is that almost everyone has superpowers or some kind of what they call quirk. And so like the, the irony is that if you have a quirk, that's normal. But if you don't have a quirk, that, that, that's actually considered abnormal. <laughs> and so like the main character, Deku, um or yeah that's what he young Midoriya yeah young Midoriya is uh as all might cause him uh um he uh he's born quirkless and so he's uh he's ultimately given a quirk by all might but um but the point is that in that world like or rather if you contrast that with like the the world of the x-men where if you have a superpower you're considered weird or you're considered uh you know abnormal or you're uh, you and you're kind of demonized because of it. I mean, the whole, the, the whole uh, storyline involving the X Men is is Xavier and Magneto kind of going at each other, uh, trying to either have or the, in their own way they're trying to get, get mutant acceptance. Um, so, you know, it's it's kind of interesting that you know if if you lived in a world where everyone was super. Then no one is if you ever if that's a uh, an Incredibles reference, but uh, <laughs> well, well I think um I think particularly with that reference with the X Men um and I think like I said I think Stan talked about this before a lot of his influence for that that story arc or that world in terms of X Men came from seeing what's happened around him during the Civil Rights Movement specifically with Malcolm X and with Martin Luther King Jr. and the relationship that they had with each other, sometimes against each other, but later, you know, together. And I think a lot of a lot of the older X-Men storylines, and I mean, I'm not talking about the modern ones, you know, after the, you know, we started seeing television shows and the like, but I'm talking about the original storyboards in terms of, um, in terms of the original X-Men, the original Brotherhood of Mutants, and how those influences shaped each ideology. Like, for example, Magneto, um, Eric Lynchcher, you know, if you know his background, dude's a Holocaust survivor. So he's seen the worst in human beings in terms of discrimination, in terms of what that bias and prejudice can drive people to. Um, he was a Holocaust survivor. That that kind of says it all. Um, whereas 
Charles Xavier was a little bit more privileged in terms of his exposure to the world, but he found out, you know, at a certain age that, you know, he had abilities that set him apart from everybody else. And it, the two ideologies, um, you know, it's, it's the opposite in the same coin. If there was another, as, if there's another black history, history reference that I could point to, um, I would say W.E.B. Du Bois and Booker T. Washington. Right, right. To, you know, two completely different ideologies for our people to go to the same place and get to the same, you know, destination, but two different approaches. And that's, that's what, you know, X-Men is essentially all about. It's, you know, it, it's fighting against, you know, discrimination. One ideology has us, hey, we're just like everybody else. All we want is our fair shake. And we want our, you know, all we want is our niche in the society to live with it. Whereas the other ideology is like, look, you guys have done, you know, egregious harm to us. And we're superior to you. So why should we have to subject ourselves to that type of abuse? And those, I mean, even to this day, even in our in the comics that we see, you know, and in the MCU, which is, you know, like I said, that's a whole nother animal. But we we see those things play out time and again in regular society every day. And it's just amazing to look at the work that Stan Lee and Jack Kirby and the folks at Marvel have done um, over the years to tell those stories. And not just to tell them, but tell them in a way that's relatable. You know, whether you're a person that has absolutely no clue who Iron Man is or you're a comic head. You know, the first time you pick up a Marvel comic and you read through the stories, and you're like, wow, this is relatable. And it doesn't necessarily mean the bigger characters. It could be Iron Man, you know, it could be, you know, Luke Cage and Iron Fist. It can be Daughters of the Dragon. It could be any number of of characters in comics and sub stories. Um, you know, it's funny. Not when you mentioned the whole the um, relatability factor. I think that's one of the ways that Marvel kind of sets itself apart from DC. Uh, I remember Stan Lee was talking about when he created Spider-Man, and like one of the reasons why he created Spider-Man is to kind of have like a to a, a lower not lower level but like more closer to the ground kind of character where you know he, his his uh, famous you know pseudonym or whatever is you know uh, your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. So he wanted someone someone who could better relate to the people because he's helping them direct, directly and not necessarily saving the whole world or the whole universe or whatever. And so um, if you all, you, I'm pretty sure you all know that in December, I believe, or next month, uh, the the new Spider-Man, if there's a new, uh, an animated Spider-Man movie ca- coming out, I think it's what, Into the Spider-Verse, I think that's- yeah, and yeah, so, that's exactly it. And so you have all of these different Spider Men and women <laughs> that you know it's kind of and Spider Pig actually. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that. So uh, I don't know. It's I, I kind of like that aspect because you have. I think they show one scene where you have Peter Parker talking to Miles Morales, and they're like, and they're kind of like, and Peter's kind of teaching Miles how to, I think, web swing or something like that, and so. Uh, you kind of see it's like 
and then and then Gwen comes out of nowhere. Spider Gwen comes out of nowhere and is like, "Hey guys!" And they're like, "Wait, what? There's another one." So you you have you have Spider Man, right? And he's kind of divided into the, into these different realities where there's a different kind of person that Spider Man is kind of saying that you know what? It doesn't matter who you are, you could or even what species you are, really, <laughs> you can be Spider Man. Yeah. So it's like he you know it it allows you to kind of put yourself in the shoes of Spider-Man. It's like you know what you're black is hey you can be Spider-Man. There's Miles Morales. If you're if you're a girl, well, you know what? It's okay. You can be Spider-Man too. So well, I think that's that's absolutely right. And I think uh to go further, if you look at some of Marvel's second run characters, you know, specifically like characters like the Punisher or Daredevil or um Iron Fist or Misty May or Colleen Wing or any number of secondary characters. Um, the theme is still there. It, regardless of what powers you have, um, in some cases, those, you know, some folks have limited powers. Some folks don't have any except for a whole bunch of guns. In that case, we're talking about the Punisher, you know, just. Like and De- well, no, Deadpool has powers, well, but he just doesn't really. Yeah, Right, but I guess the I guess the point being is that in different circumstances, it only, yeah, it it takes all it takes is a will to make a difference, you know. Particularly with, um, particularly in the case of the Punisher, because you know that guy, you know, he has. I mean, he's a he's a Navy SEAL or special operator. I think it was Navy SEAL or or Army Delta Force One. Um, And, you know, the catalyst for him was losing his family. And, you know, that's set him on the course of being a vigilante. No powers, nothing like that. Just a real urge to just kind of, you know, whack anybody that's doing bad. And I think on certain levels, you know, you've got characters sprinkled throughout the the Marvel universe that stands created that fall into that category. Whether that's, you know, um, again, whether that's uh, whether that's Daredevil, for example. Um, Daredevil's not really considered a superhero, per se. He has some abilities that, you know, he developed, you know, through an accident, and I think that's kind of the MO for a lot of those characters. Um, Iron Fist is not not what we would call a, a superpowered being. You know, he's just the pinnacle of of human. You know, tapping into the human potential in terms of martial arts. You know, he uses his chi. Um, there's just a lot of there are a lot of variations to the theme in a lot of the characters that Stan has put out there over the years, but they all say the same thing. You can make a difference, regardless of whether it's in your neighborhood. It's you know for that one person that's crossing the street, somebody's getting mugged. You can make a difference, and that's you know that's kind of the genius behind his work because that theme extends not just to you know the second or the third tier heroes, but to the major players. You know. Uh, how many times have we seen storylines with the Fantastic Four, you know, fighting off Galacticus or some other insurmountable, you know, absolutely you know, just impossible challenge to overcome and they overcome it. 
Same thing with the X-Men, you know, or the Avengers. The Avengers are, well, they're the Avengers for that very reason. So, I mean, I think um, his passing obviously sucks. You know, if you're, I mean, if you're into comics, yeah, it sucks. You're going to be feeling this for a minute. And speaking for myself, you know, I grew up reading Marvel comics. I mean, that was my, that was part of my after-school after routine. Get out of school, go to the babysitter, have a bowl of honeycomb, turn on the television, and read Iron Man. That was it. Or the Hulk, or, you know, whatever number of the box of comics that, you know, my babysitter, Mrs. Green, would have, you know, on hand for me to read. After homework, of course. You know, so it's, um, it stinks to lose a guy of that caliber and, you know, that that type of person has made such a difference in the lives of so many people. Um, yeah, I think actually, uh, I think DC actually even tweeted out, uh, you know, their condolences because, I mean, as, as much of a rivalry they had, you know, even DC was a, had, had been affected by how uh, Marvel's storytelling and, and Stan Lee's in, in particular. And so, I mean, when you have, when I, like, you know, when you think of a character like Superman, like, he was, he's, he's literally meant to be, like, a godlike figure. <laughs> like, it's someone that you can't really relate to because he's basically invincible. And so... Which is why they don't make good movies. <laughs> well, exactly. So... <laughs> Exactly. I mean, so now you have, you know, Marvel uh, coming. And one thing that I really appreciated is that with a lot of DC characters, you know, they their whole thing was you had a superhero persona and then, you know, you took the mask off and you had your everyday persona. But with Marvel, it's like they didn't have secret identities. Like you knew who you know who I am. Like people know know who know Iron Man is Tony Stark. Like <laughs> people know exactly. Captain America is Steve Rogers. Like that's not a secret. So I think you know it's it's kind of saying it's not it's not asking the question how do you balance your superhero and and you know your regular life per se is more so how do I how do I get these people to accept me for who I am because I have these weird powers or something or yeah. you know or or even in the case of civil war you know how do I use my powers in a way that uh is that can serve the greater good without harming innocence or you know whatever yeah right right so yeah. And I think uh, I think that in itself is something that Stan Lee touches on time and time again in terms of his start in terms of the storylines that we've seen out of the comic. Um, and you know, one of the major themes uh, that he's really emphasized over the years is the fact that no hero is perfect. No hero is without flaws or without, you know, without cracks in their armor, so to speak. Um, one hero, and just in thinking about this show in the brief time we had to think about it, that came to mind uh, was the Sentry. And if you're familiar with the Sentry, those you those you guys out there that are listening, um, the Sentry is essentially... Um, Marvel's one of Marvel's versions of Superman, but 
uh, think of the dude as um, Superman with a really, really, really bad side that if he gets out, uh, it's a wrap for everybody. Uh, we're talking about the void, which is um, which is the century's alter ego. And I think what people um, don't get, if you're not familiar with the century first, the century is this all-powerful superhero, arguably one of the po most powerful humans in the Marvel Universe, period. And one of the most powerful fig you know, figures in Marvel, period, at all. Uh, if we're talking about um, his alter ego, the Void, which is the completely dark, fragmented persona of the century. And just telling the story talks about Sentry's, you know, flaws. He's bipolar. Um, he's, he's agoraphobic. He doesn't, you know, he's not, uh, he's not capable of being outside of his home for long periods of time. And he's fighting to maintain control and to keep this dark alter ego under wraps at all times. And that impacts how how he you know he's portrayed as a hero. You know, he's arguably the biggest force for good that the Marvel Universe has ever seen, while simultaneously being arguably one of the most destructive forces that the Marvel Universe has ever seen. And if you're familiar with the Sentry, and for example, the Sentry and the and the Hulk go go head to head and uh, World, War, World War Hulk, for example. And the Sentry is like one of the few entities in, anywhere in comics that can go head-to-head -head with the Hulk when he's, you know, pretty much just stepping on on ground and breaking worlds. You know, that's why they call him <laughs> World Breaker. And essentially, he's just, you know, he's taking the Hulk and, and just mashing him. Just, you know... He, He's just putting, he's, you know, he's getting those hands. It's, it's crazy. But I think to tell those stories, you know, and to show the vulnerability in those heroes says a lot. And it's not just saying that, you know, nobody's perfect, but you fight those imperfections to make a difference every day. You know, I mean, again, I, I talk about Tony Stark, and, you know, yeah, Tony's a jerk, and he's a narcissist, but at the end of the day, you know, Tony's a futurist, and Tony sees that he has to change, uh, and that's kind of the background of his story, you know, he's, he's a weapons maker by trade, and he doesn't care that he's a weapons maker until he sees the death and destruction that his tools are causing. And that kind of changes his whole mindset. Yeah, I think they kind of portrayed that in the movie, too. Yeah. So, yeah, he's a jerk. He's still a jerk. <laughs> but, you know, he's a good jerk, I guess, if you could, if you could just, if you could categorize that. Um, and, I mean, I think just about every Marvel character save uh, Thor. You know, Thor's not really that relatable because he's a god and... Yeah, gods aren't really relatable to regular folk, at least not in Marvel. But it's a very um, 
it's a very interesting dichotomy that they have with a lot with the majority of the characters. You know, even Deadpool. Deadpool is um, Deadpool is unique in the sense that first he breaks the fourth wall all the time, and essentially that's super relatable because as the the audience or the reader, you know, we're always thinking about what these characters are thinking about, and of course. Stanley was was Stanley and Jack were really brilliant enough to think about that and integrate that into a comic. I mean, who does that? Nobody. <laughs> Deadpool, to my to my knowledge, is the only comic book character out there that breaks the fourth wall. Um, I think uh, he might actually he uh, at least at least consistently. <laughs> Consist. I mean, as a as a theme of the yeah, right, yeah, I think yeah, as a that's that's part of what makes him Deadpool, yeah. Right. So, you know, even I mean, as funny and as off kilter as Deadpool is, it, the same thing underlying theme applies. You know, at the end of the day, when all the chips are down, no matter how flawed you are, you still have the capacity for a great deal of good, and that is. You know, that's what I get from reading any of Stanley's work. And it's, like I said, it's really, you know, it's a shame that, you know, 95 years Stanley is gone, but that dude left a heck of a legacy. And I, I, uh, I would be remiss on, even though technically Veterans Day was yesterday, today is the day that we, I guess, uh, uh, formally celebrated i guess or uh, uh the actual holiday itself is is acknowledged but um so if for, for folks that that didn't know stanley was actually in the army um he he was a member of the signal corps basically repairing uh telegraph poles and doing other communication stuff so he's uh he, he's a he was a vet himself um he served in world war Two, obviously and i think that's actually pretty interesting because uh stanley is jewish so he served in uh, World War Two, uh, fighting against uh, Nazis, who obviously you know killed six million, what six million Jews. Um, yeah. And so, uh, and one one thing that kind of shook the world at at, at one point was that uh, there was a famous Captain America ca- uh, cover in which he was punching Hitler in the face, and like when that came out at the time. Uh, I think at first they didn't want to. They didn't want to do it at first because they didn't want to be too. They didn't want to rock the boat too much. But then they were like, "Eff it, we're gonna come out with it." And so they came out with that. Um, yeah. They came out with that cover, and it was like, "Wow!" And so it, it was. And it, the, the the thing was when it when that cover came out with Captain America punching Hitler, the U.S. actually wasn't in the in the war yet, <laughs> and so right. that a lot of some people were worried that that would be like a tacit, you know. Uh, it would be like the U.S. kind of, sort of getting in, involved in the war, even though we hadn't actually declared war on Germany at that point. But um, right, that that was definitely kind of a galvanizing moment to kind of you know say, hey, you know, you have this, you know, you have the 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 Third Reich over there, uh, <laughs> systematically eliminating an entire uh, ethnicity. Uh, maybe we need to do something. So <laughs> yeah, well, I think. And that's a very good that's a very good segue, Dave. Um, I mean, a lot of Stanley's influences came from his service. Um, and uh, like I was mentioning before, um, 
a good example of that is one of the, you know one of the major players in X Men is um, Eric Lyncher, A.K.A. Magneto. Um, Eric is Jewish. Eric is a survivor of the Holocaust of Auschwitz, and I remember reading in one of the comics where you know there this is kind of an origin story for Magneto, where he essentially saves his family by killing uh, by killing the SS guards that you know had them uh, locked up you know in Auschwitz. Evidently, the Americans were advancing and they hadn't gotten there, so they were shooting they were shooting whoever was left that they didn't liquidate. And that's when uh, his power of magnetism became uh, came, became active as opposed to latent. And he killed those guards, and he was able to save his family and survive. But those sorts of influences um, really impacted how he wrote. And I think that says a lot. That says an awful lot about you know, just the type of dude he was and how observant he was uh, to what was going on. Um, I mean, there's just so many other, uh, so many other influences just from that period of time when we talk about, obviously, characters like the Red Skull, for example. You know, that's a very, if you're familiar with the Red Skull and you're familiar with Hydra, then you know the underlying themes of what they were all about. The Red Skull, you know, think of Nazi Germany on crack. And, you know, with the futuristic edge and, you know... Or, or America today. Well, yeah, yeah, well, yeah, we're, we're, we're getting there. But <laughs> at the same time, you know, I think a lot of those elements, you know, he was very forward-thinking dude. You know, we talk about, you know, stuff like Hydra and and shadow governments and all of that stuff. That dude integrated all of those things into his storyline. I mean, who does that? I mean, besides somebody that's just, you know, just the clock is just like 20 years ahead of everybody else. And, you know, that was really, the that's, in my opinion, that's the most amazing thing about reading this work is that, you know, you read his work, and then you pop your head out of the comic, and then you look around and you observe what you know, observe current events, and it's just like, wow, um, this is really relatable to what he wrote back in the '50s or the '60s. You know, it's, it's no joke, and a lot of these same types of issues are still being talked about, and that was the you know. I think that was the real genius behind his work, you know, and uh, it's, um, again, it, it, there's not going to be another one like him. There's just not. I hate to uh, uh, leave Dominique out. Did you uh, have anything <laughs> you wanted to kind of contribute? Uh, I apologize for... Uh, My bad. Unless, or oh, I mean, <laughs> do you do you read comics uh, or have you like have you been big into like Marvel comics or any? Yeah, comics? man, I'm a huge I'm a huge comic book fan. Well, I was more when I was a kid than I am now. Now I'm more more into the MCU. Uh, I haven't actually read a comic book since I read the uh, the Civil War. I read the Civil War comic books before the movie came out because I wanted to, you know I was curious about it, uh, which was crazy by the way. Uh, not even close to what happened on the movie because of movie rights. So right. they couldn't have, you know, Mr. Fantastic and 
uh, Goliath has never been introduced, but there's so many like really dope things. And they did a good job of substituting, like they substitute Ant-Man for Goliath and that kind of stuff. And so um, I, 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 I think about the fact that other than the movies that are already recorded, we're not going to get to see another Stanley cameo, which always caught me off guard. And all, not always. There was a couple that kind of telegraphed it. But for the most part, it was like, oh, yeah, Marvel Stanley cameo, man. And, you know, that's going to make me, that's going to, it's going to, it's going to be like a thug tier. Um, you know, when I <laughs> yeah, go see Miss Marvel in January or February, I think, and uh, the Avengers in, I think, March or April. Yeah, definitely man. Gonna, I... Definitely going to well up a little bit because when I tell you that was my escape I was a nerdy kid I was you know uh, just it it was just a great way to like get away and you could get lost in these worlds that he was creating and it just made I mean the the stories were so so like immersive and just well told and well thought out even back then like and I can't even it's like crazy now like the 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 uh the definition of the the art is better now, uh, but back then, man, I'm telling you, they were telling really good stories, and I, I I I put a lot away. You know, there's a lot of really good stuff that you can get from that, and like like Herb said, man, it just it, it tells you that a lot of times the difference between you and doing the right thing is a choice. And there was a lot of times where I thought to myself, well, what you know, what's the right thing to do? Like, what would Spider Man do? You know, when I was young. You know, you get a little older, you replace that with, I guess, what would Jesus do or what would Allah do or whatever. I don't know. But uh, when, yeah. I was, when I was a kid, man, I really thought, like, that's not – that I, I looked at myself as a good guy, and that's not what a good guy would do, so I shouldn't do it, that kind of stuff, man. And so, uh, like I said, it's, it's, it's going to be uh, tough after he's actually – like, he's still here because we haven't seen these movies yet. It's not like we think about Stan Lee on a day-to-day basis. But every time another Marvel movie comes out that he's there's no cameo with him in, it's gonna make you think about it. And, and and hopefully Marvel keeps, you know, keeps his legacy strong. I mean, Disney has a hold of it, so it's a money machine regardless. But I just hope yeah. they keep being. I hope they keep being forward thinking like they have been for the last 50, 60 years. Keep being forward thinking. Keep being at the forefront of inclusion and diversity. Keep you know, let's get Riri on this TV. Let's get uh, Anthony Mackie as Captain America. Like, there's a lot of things that they can make happen that I hope they do make happen. So, well, yeah, I, I just hope Disney and uh, I'm, Disney, if there are any representatives that actually listen to this podcast, you've been warned. <laughs> uh, don't don't catch a jumping knee strike to the jaw by screwing up Stan Lee's legacy, please. Please don't. I mean, and you, I mean, you will have a lot of upset people coming after you guys if you put out a movie that screws up a character in the way that you guys have done so before, or rather the Fox folks have. Now uh, you guys. Oh, Marvel yeah, I'm did it too. Don't, let, don't, 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 don't do that with uh, yeah. that first Daredevil just, movie. And I'm just saying, well, well we, don't, we don't like to talk about those abominations on this podcast. Everything before <laughs> the first Iron Man was <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, as long as garbage. I think we've already seen that uh, based on how they've treated Star Wars. So there's been a lot of people who are not happy with how they've taken the Star Wars franchise. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I would be happy with the uh, with the the iterative Star Wars, but all these spinoffs nobody asked for is what we not like. Like Solo was the boringest movie I've ever seen before. Like I I was not interested at all. Who who asked for this? 
<laughs> so I think yeah. they changed course. I think they said they're not going to come out with a Star Wars movie every single year or something like that. So uh, I remember when I... Well, go ahead. Well, I was going to say before we kind of get off a little, get off tangent. Um, <laughs> one of the one of the other things uh, in regards to Stan, um, and you know, just in the framework of of this show, is that he talked a lot about futurism, and he talked a lot about technology and where technology can take us, and the the very positive aspects of how technology could be a benefit to humanity in general. And I think um, that was always a theme. You know, like I said, Tony Tony Stark, you know, was the epitome of that. You know, that was his character. He was a futurist. He was, you know, adept at looking decades and millennia into the future and saying, hey, look, uh, we can develop this technology now. We can be here, you know, at this period of time. You know, Reed Richards was the same way, futurist. You know, uh, some of the more, you know, some of the smartest people in Marvel history, you know, including the villains, were futurists. So, it's um, that's one of the that's one of the other things that Stan was really adept at telling, in terms of telling those stories was, hey, you know, human potential is off the charts if we do it the right way. And he told those stories through his characters. Um, I mean, who besides? I mean, besides Tony Stark having a lot of money, what kind of powers did Tony Stark have? None. Outside of a really great intellect, and him being, you know, an absolutely off the charts engineer. And, and rich. that's <laughs> right. You know, and we see, and we see kind of the same thing with uh, Iron Man's successor. You know, Riri Williams. Yeah, Riri Williams. The power of white privilege. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that too. We're not going to get into that, though. <laughs> um, but I think, uh, you know, we're, we're seeing that also in, um, in the next iteration of Iron Man, you know, for Ironheart, Riri Williams. Well, first, I was super excited to see a black woman, you know, a 15-year-old black woman that's a st- that was, you know, a STEM product, be, you know, be cast as the next Iron Man. That was, that was dope. You know, I, that's... And I don't see, you know, I didn't, I, I couldn't picture, you know, seeing DC take that sort of chance, one of their major characters. You know, I just couldn't. Um, now, where they've taken the character, I have a little bit of questions about. You know, I have some concerns. But the fact that they've, they, they went out on, not just faith, but they went out on their own. And decide to say, hey, look, it's time to see, time that our audience audiences see this. You know, they see uh, a woman of color, and Marvel has not just done that with Iron Man. They've done it with, oh, jeez, who? I mean, they've they've done it with a number of characters. Um, there is. Uh, I'm trying to. You guys may want to help me out here because I'm trying to. I'm. I'm I'm trying to figure out which ones are which. There was another Miss Marvel that was of color. The the I'm one that's sure. the one that's Arab. Right. Yeah. I didn't think I I wasn't trying. I was trying to remember whether she was Arabic or African American. But thanks for actually answering that question. Dave. You're <laughs> coming through in a clutch, man. 
Um, I mean, there's. I mean, of course, you got Miles Morales as being a you know being a, a Spider-Man of color. Um, you got Brie Larson being you know taking the mantle of Captain Marvel. Well, not Brie Larson, but Carol Danvers. Jeez, that was really a slip up. Thanks. <laughs> I need to see this movie. <laughs> um, and I mean, like I said, there's still stories that haven't been told, at least not in the Marvel universe, not in the MCU. Um, and that goes back to what I, you know, the character that I mentioned at the very beginning of the podcast, um, uh, Donald Brashear, which is uh, Blue Marvel. And, you know, if the Marvel folks just for Stanley tribute decide they want to, you know, re- jumpstart a Blue Marvel comic, I'd be down. I'd be, I'd be the first person in the line. Because I think, you know, his story you know, is, is arguably one that could be retold over and over again and still have the same type of appeal, you know, just because of, of just the depth of his character and, you know, the storyline of his development. Yeah, but to push back on that, though, the best, the, the, more, the most popular stories are the ones told about the more vulnerable characters, your your Spider-Mans, your uh, X-Men, your you know, those are the stories that get the most. Even like Wolverine, even though he he's he he heals, like his best um, his most popular storylines are storylines where he gets wrecked um, because we it's just a natural human nature for we love to see a fall and then a rise. Like if you if you look at to take to go on a tangent, you look at uh, I got this point from a sports podcast I listened to, but it made sense. There's a lot of people that didn't like Tiger, and that now everybody's rooting for Tiger to win when everybody's winning because we saw him fall, and now he's on the way back up. You know what I mean? Like I think that we as a I think it's just a human thing. Like, it's human nature that it... That's why Superman doesn't bode... Like, you know, some people... I guess some people's favorite superhero is Superman, but I think those people have, like, a God complex or something. Like, I, just, I don't see how you can find benefit or, or, or see... I mean, I guess he has some storylines where he's fighting equally um, powerful beings, but most of his storylines, like Superman versus them dudes up the street, really ain't that interesting because them dudes up the street don't stand a chance. Just like Luke Cage. If you watch Luke Cage the whole season, I'm watching it like, other than these terrible Jamaican accents, I'm looking at it like, why do people keep shooting at this dude, man? And But if, well, you know, if, if Spider-Man gets hit with a bullet, he, it's going to be hard for you to hit him because of his spider sense and his agility. But if he gets hit, he will be hurt. And I think well, that's the reason that he's everybody's favorite. You know? Well, I think... Well, one of the things about Marvel's Marvel stories that they as they play out, we don't those stories never really focus on the fact that you've got you know somebody's got a degree of invincibility or you know because really there are no heroes in Marvel that are completely invincible, you know, That's and not that includes no. I mean, that, that, look, if you look at even the most powerful of our heroes. Um, whether we're, whether we're talking about Thor or the Hulk or 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 like I said, Blue Marvel, you know, they're dealing with some sort of 
adversity. For adverse. You're right. Yeah. You're right. Well, and I mean, that's not, you know, sometimes it's not defined physically. Yeah, I mean, the Hulk, like I said, the Hulk in Hulk form is invincible, invulnerable. Yeah. Well, I mean, until, you know, the centuries, the centuries wrecking them. So I'm not going <laughs> to, you know, that's just, but I mean, we could, t- we could debate that part of the equation all day, you know, depending on the character. Um, Doctor Strange is is a is a powerful being, but he runs the risk of being consumed by the magics that he that he deals with. You know, there. I mean, and that's kind of how the Marvel universe is is you know is stacked. You know, in terms of their heroes, no hero is absolutely positively perfect. Even Thor. You know, Thor. You know, Thor had to get wrecked a, m- a number of times before. You know, he really developed a following. You know, and that was—I mean—and Marvel kind of saw that early on, where you know, yeah, Thor's the god of thunder, blah blah blah. But you know, uh, he was on the outs with his pops for a minute, and then you know he had to—you know—he got shipped off to Earth, you know, to you know, like boarding school or something, so he could learn some lessons <laughs> before he could take back over the family business. You know, it's it's those sorts of things that you know make Marvel characters, in my opinion, really unique. Um, you know, there's not you know there's not a Superman type of character in Marvel. There's not. There are people that are as powerful as Superman in Marvel, but you know we look at Superman and we don't we don't see flaws. At least that's not how DC design design that character. That character is designed to be a beacon for all of humanity to be drawn to and to be like, indicating that that you know that character was kind of perfect in a lot of ways. There's no hero in Marvel that falls into that category. Not even not even Captain America. I would debate so, that. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, Ashley, that kind of uh, <laughs> that would kind of lead uh, to a uh, you know mind we can kind of wrap up wrap up a little bit um so i guess we can go around what is your um i guess i'll start off what is your favorite character designed or or created by stan lee and so i'll say i was uh oh i mean i guess he didn't i don't think he directly created captain america (laughs) uh i know he was i know he was involved in it i think uh, so actually, in, in lieu of, in lieu of uh, uh, Captain America, he is my favorite superhero. But I actually say Spider Man is my favorite uh, hero that was created by Stan Lee. And the reason that is is, um, and I was I was actually thinking this as I was playing the Spider Man game on PS4, which you should buy. Which you should buy, by the way. That's an excellent game. Yeah. Um, Shameless plug. Right. <laughs> but. Uh, <laughs> Uh, if you have a PS4, do yourself a favor and buy the game if you haven't already. But the reason I like Spider-Man is because he's like, like he really is kind of like that every that every man character. It's like I can see myself in him. Like when he when he interacts with Mary Jane, like him, like you know, at the beginning of the game, like I'm not really saying any spoilers, but like they're kind of going through a rough patch, and there's kind of there's kind of like this will they or will they not kind of thing throughout the game, and so like, but. The way they interact with each other is like spot on as far as how I've like in the past how I've interacted with women. So it's like like you or even with my wife, my current wife, it's like 
Like, I'll do something, I'll mess it up. I'm like, darn it, I'll mess it up. And then, then she'll call me or whatever. And then, like, uh, you know, she'll let me know she's not really mad at me or whatever. So it's like, I don't know. It's like that that, that portrayal of, reali- of realism. Like, I, I can relate to it. So, you know, obviously I don't have, you know, spider powers or anything. But the way that his character is portrayed, I feel like I can relate to that if I had spider powers <laughs> uh, or just not, or not not even just that like just the, the things that he gets himself into like his relationship with uh with Dr. Octavius and that kind of thing you you can relate to that uh especially as someone who's in the STEM field I can relate to wanting to look up to someone who who's like who who's who's where I want to be I want to be someone who's the top of their field who who is an expert, you know, a subject matter expert in their field. That's what, that's absolutely my goal in my career. My career goal is to be a subject matter expert. So, um, like, I, I understand, I understand that and I can relate to that. So that's, that's kind of why Spider-Man is like my, my, one of my favorites. Well, I think, um, I can't pick just one. I, <laughs> I have three. Um, and, um, you know, all three are for diff- for very different reasons. Um, Two of them are are fairly, you know, straightforward. You know, one is uh is a Nathan Brashear, you know, Blue Marvel. Um, as a veteran, um, I can relate to his story a lot, because, you know, the progression of his character, you know, asked, you know, started him, you know, having to conceal his identity from the American public while he's saving the world time and time and time again, only for the American public to turn against him when his identity is revealed that he's a black man. And as a veteran, you know, that hits home a lot because that is, you know, prior to the integration of the military after World War II, that's what a lot of black folks that served in the military had to go through. They go, I mean, particularly in the in the great wars, wars like World War One, World War Two, the Korean War. Um, you know, those brothers go, you know, go overseas and and die, you know, and give their all for a country that you don't know how they're going to reciprocate that, you know, that level of sacrifice when you get back home. And you know, we've all heard heard the stories of World War One veterans coming home after you know, losing life and limb uh, across the way in France where they're treated like human beings and they come home and they're lynched, you know, or they're, you know, they're abducted and you're never seen again or they show up in somebody's earthen dam because somebody thinks that because you have on a uniform you're too uppity or, you know, you have too much mouth. Um... That, for, you know, there are a lot of correlations to that for me in, in Blue Marvel's storyline because he's dealing with a lot of resentment and a lot of pride at the same time. You know, he's proud to be able to, to be a service, you know, to be able to use his power to save people. But at the same time, he stung just like anybody else of color during that period of time. Wow. Does this country really love me or not? You know, I just saved this. You know, I just saved this country from annihilation, and this is the treatment that I get. 
So that's one. That's one character. T'Challa, obviously. Um, black royalty, you know, there's not, yeah, and, you know, just being a badass on top of that, that's kind of self explanatory. So, you know, we, we spent an entire episode talking about T'Challa, so we're not going to get into that. Um, the third one is Tony Stark. And for Tony obvious Stark, <laughs> obviously, for, yeah, self, selfless plug. Um, Tony Stark is to me the epitome of the Marvel superhero because he's far from perfect, but he overcomes his imperfections and he, you know, he pulls off the most amazing things under the most extreme circumstances, and he does it time and time again. You know, and that to me is very relatable. You know, for anybody that's that's fallen on hard times or failed at something, and you know, for whatever reason, you know, even if somebody's quit on you, you know, for whatever reason, you know, you have enough confidence in yourself to be able to change and to flip that script. That's what Tony represents to me. You know, whether that's kicking a kicking a phobia or kicking an addiction or, you know, kicking personal habits that, you know, that don't, that prevent you from being the best person you can. You know, that to me is what Tony represents. So I'm, uh, I'm, I'm going to keep it succinct. <laughs> um, I'm gonna give you. I I can't just pick just one. My favorite overall is Spider Man. Uh, for similar reasons to you, Dave, I always saw myself in him. If I could have um, picked, you know, I I just lied. So I have a, a favorite, and then I have like a like a somebody that makes me proud, and then I got my favorite te- televised superhero. Right. So my favorite is Spider Man. Similar reasons to you, Dave. I ain't gonna rehash it, but I like. As a nerd, like, like it would have been that was the one I used to hope. I was like, man, if I get bit by a spider, let it be that kind of spider, Jesus. Um, <laughs> and um, my favorite, the one that makes me the most proud is Aurora Monroe. Um, I used to, I loved her story. I love her power. Like, she's so powerful, and that always made me feel good to know that, like, the most powerful X Men, arguably, is Aurora Monroe, a black uh, also known as Storm. Yes. For those oh, who didn't know yeah, that. I just assume everybody's a nerd. Um, <laughs> so, and my favorite televised superhero is always is, that person. It's always that one person. Uh, T'Challa. So, um, that, and you know, that's just, I, I can't think of a time where I felt that good in a movie theater. So, that's why T'Challa gets my vote. All right. Well, uh, thanks for you all for, uh, for listening to this. I guess emergency podcast. I don't know. I'm trying to think of a of a slick way of of having some of a uh, slick name for these pop up podcasts. I don't know. <laughs> the, the Stanley Tribute Podcast. Well, I mean, like you know, if 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 anything else happens and we need to uh, react to it or something, <laughs> we don't call them all Stanley yeah. Tribute. Podcasts. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> the Stanley <laughs> podcast. So if you know if if you see Stanley podcast, you know something something serious happened. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, thank you all for for listening to the Black Techies. Real quick, 
real quick. Go ahead. I yeah. Know it's, it's time to go, but uh, I just got something that just touched my heart for young, uh, young, young Stanley. You know, rest in peace. I got you real quick, real quick. Oh, guys. <laughs> oh, my God, dude. <laughs> You're killing me, man. I ain't got no, I ain't got no oh, liquor to pull out. Bro. Oh god. <laughs> all right, that's all. That's probably more than they'll let us play, assuming that more than forty people listen to this. Uh, so I shut it down. Yeah, bro. I, I, don't, I don't have any. I don't have any liquor to pull. I don't have any liquor to pull out, man. Seriously. <laughs> um. See, but, I don't even know how to end it after that. Like that should be the ending right there. <laughs> like, like if he if he didn't if he weren't gonna get you know uh, sued for a copyright violation, I would make that the the the, the playout song. <laughs> but, yeah, I'll just say. Oh, you can make um, it the playout song, dog. You can. I think it's like thirty seconds of somebody's oh, song. Is that is that is that the fair use uh, law? Okay. Yeah, I think it, I think I no, I know I've heard in other play, podcasts where they'll play it and they just stop it. They're like, hey, cut it, cut it, cut it, cut it, cut it. Because YouTube will rip it, not because of anything else. Master P ain't gonna sue us. <laughs> well, well, I'll just, I'll just, you know, leave my own tribute. Um, <laughs> thank you, thank you, Stan, for for impacting the lives that you did. Uh, with great power comes great responsibility, Excelsior. <laughs> and on that note, I think we're all in with the Excelsior. <laughs> Plus Ultra. Oh, wrong, wrong. Sorry. Oh, yeah, that's wrong. My bad. My bad. <laughs>